ago and season two is right around the corner and you might be wondering Emma have you been working on episodes and my answer to you is no I have not been working on episodes but it all changes now I am actually recording this about a week before it's supposed to be released but the other day I finished a month of writing a novel Stephen King has this rule, he says that you spend no more than a month on a, well, he says no more than 30 days on a first draft of a novel. And I was like, let's try it. And I think I picked probably one of the most inconvenient times, but I realized that there's no real time. You have to make time. I think that's like the rule I keep saying, and I always tell other writers, like, you have to make time to write. And I realized I wasn't making time to write. And I always had excuses. So I actually started this a week before finals and took it all through. And the last week I had was the first week of my new job. So yeah, like I was getting up early in the morning, writing nonstop. And I was going to work until 11 o'clock at night and getting up and doing the whole thing. But I learned a lot in the month. And I'm actually pretty satisfied with how the first draft went. I don't know how much is going to change because I mean I'll walk away from it for I usually walk away from a manuscript about two months before I go back and start editing and I actually hand wrote this and actually a very beautiful notebook I got in uh, from Barnes and Noble and it actually has a it's leather and it actually has a map of the world but the map where's the day on this because it's an old map and it is 1636 is the map that's on it. So it's a pretty interesting map. Like none of Canada's pretty much non-existent. Um, Japan and Indonesia, all the islands are not the proportions we know they are now. Australia is in here. Russia is a lot smaller than it normally is. So it's, it's a pretty interesting map, actually, when you uh, look at it. And um, I enjoyed uh, getting back to uh, handwriting because I, I don't know why. I, I typed my last novel on my computer, and I felt it actually went so much slower than handwriting because I'm someone that gets distracted. So being able to put my playlist on my computer and then have my computer on my bed playing music while I'm at my desk with nothing to distract me was actually kind of nice because if you type on your computer it's so easy to press that little plus button and open a new tab and then all of a sudden three hours pass and you got no writing done but you know like the history of I don't know like Looney Tunes or something you know how those YouTube rabbit hole spirals go and so it was kind of nice having and also something I never really realized is in the car or places where I have bad Wi-Fi, I didn't realize how many places I would end up in bad Wi-Fi where if I didn't have a notebook, I couldn't have wrote. So it, it was nice, and I, I kind of enjoyed it more, and I think I really missed out on it, and I'm starting to realize that 
having a notebook I'm proud to write my story in is I think really makes or breaks it for me and so having a book that is beautiful and I like carrying around I like showing off even if the inside is messy with all my writing and notes and post-its and everything I found it was a lot more beneficial to me than a 99 cent notebook and maybe that's just me so um, I'm not saying to go out and buy expensive notebooks but if if it helps you write it helps you write and that's what happens so I haven't really picked the title of this I keep going back and forth between two titles and it's uh, Memento Mori Jack Hughes which means remember you will die Jack Hughes or my name is Jack Hughes King of Kings which is a parody of um, Ozymandias with the line my name is Ozymandias King of Kings and the book actually features uh, Jack Hughes which is a character I've had on a storytelling app Amino for a very long time and I always wanted to write about him and I actually met someone on this app and I started writing a story with them about Jack I was like you wanna know what this is the sign someone finally took an interest of Jack on this app and said he was a cool character I should just shoot my shot and write the novel about Jack I've always wanted to write and Jack is a modern day version of Jack the Ripper and I know many people have written Jack the Ripper books before but I think the mystery behind Jack the Ripper and how many stories can come of him, I think, is that it's kind of what makes people interested in him. But I probably took a different spin on it and wanted to kind of... I took the story of Jack the Ripper, made it modern day, and changed it a little bit. And then I kind of also have the same struggles that he goes through very similarly to Raskolnikov of Crime and Punishment. So it's a, I would say it's a big mix between the two of them, the morality and dealing with whatever is going on in Jack's mind and that weighing down on him, and also then the story of Jack Thurber going between them. So Jack Hughes is actually a lawyer, and he's a prosecution lawyer who works for the DA of Scotland Yard. And he's actually on the Ripper case. And he's the only one that's lasted on it for as long as it is. He comes in one morning and he finds that Simon, who was the uh, veteran detective on the case, has been replaced with a man named Atticus. And Atticus Stewart is the new detective and it's the story of the two of them kind of getting to know each other and solving this case. And then, so the main cast is you have Jack the lawyer, Atticus, who's his right-hand man, who's the main detective on this case. Then you also have two people who help them. You have Sarah, who works in the morgue, who is identifying all these bodies and working with them. And then you have Charles Holmes, which is actually, funny story, another character from this writing app that I have, who has crossed paths with Jack multiple times. And, he, and Charles is the closest one that comes to finding out that Jack is the Ripper and has to deal with the consequences of that. And so those are the four people on the case that are working on it and they are trying their best to catch this serial killer who is killing these women. And on top of that you have Jack's personal life which is him and his struggles with family, mental illnesses that he has, 
and all this extra stuff. And in that, you have a whole different side of him. He doesn't get along with his brother. In fact, they're the only time the two seem to be getting along is the brother is a doctor. It was actually a brain surgeon, not a doctor. Kind of a doctor, but a little bit more. He's a brain surgeon, to be more specific. And the only time the two of them ever get along is when they're high on morphine together. Jack takes a lot of drugs. His brother takes a lot of drugs. They drink. They do all this stuff. And there's scenes of them. I think my favorite scene between the two of them that I have is Jack is sitting there and they're both high on morphine. And Jack is just tapping the same key of his piano over and over and over again. And his brother is laying on the couch and Jack says, you know, we should do this more often. And his brother says, you mean getting together? And Jack says, no, morphine. So he doesn't have a, the best relationship with his family. And then you have this other character in Jack's life, which really opened him up, is Jack Logevic, Theodore Jackalojevic, who is his actual psychiatrist. And they have been together since he was a kid. And so there's a struggle of this man pretty much having control over Jack's life. Anything that Jack Ojevic wants him to do, Jack will do it, and vice versa. And it's a pretty unhealthy relationship they have, and Jack Ojevic is actually very well aware of all the murders that Jack is doing, but he doesn't do anything about it. And you find out why in the book, and I don't want to spoil it, because I do plan to publish this and hopefully promote it through this, and I think... It's something I'm actually really proud of. I'm, I really want to get it out there, and I think people will enjoy it. But you have this psychiatrist and actually his group from Serbia, and the three men he is with. It's Jack Lajevic, uh, Pushka, and Aljoso, which is Alexander. It's the Serbian version of that. The three of them are not healthy men, mentally socially how they see the world they are not healthy people and they're not in a good headspace and jack is around them during so many developmental years on top of his own mental illness that he's completely corrupted by these three men but you'll learn about that in the book and so it's kind of this whole balancing act of jack having to deal with all of this in his life and his own mental illnesses and he says I don't and he says actually many times in the book I don't like liars so I don't lie because I have to lie to myself he knows that something is wrong with him but he does nothing to stop it because no one has ever taught him how to Jack Lojevic has only helped him fester it and act on it he's never helped him do anything about it and so I I really like it I'm enjoying it and Jack is just struggling, and you learn all these things on why he is reaching these psychotic breaks that he goes out, and he murders these people, because he's also someone that will help people and do things, and he helps Charles, and he helps Atticus, and he helps Sarah, and he has a girlfriend he's very happy with, and he does all these things, and he's a very charming person to be around, but something in him can't handle what is happening. And it causes him to lash out like this. It's all very calculated and it's 
and it's specific to him and what he wants in his victims. And so if you like true crime and all this stuff, I think this would be the book for you. And it was, it was a big learning thing for me too. I learned a lot about prioritizing my time. And I also think I learned about pacing. For the first couple days, I I was pretty... I wrote the first chapter in a day. And that came out to be about 14 pages. And then the rest was kind of slow. And every once in a while, I have a day where I've read like 20 pages and stuff. And then I realized all of a sudden there was like a week and a half left. And I was only halfway done. And I was rushing and I was writing for hours and hours and hours a day. So I learned that I have to be more consistent with it. And I definitely think if you try this challenge and you really want to hold yourself accountable to hit the 30-day mark, you have to really pace yourself. And I think rather than pacing yourself to spread out, I would recommend pumping out as much as you can for the first two weeks so that the second two weeks you're not rushing. So do the opposite of what I did. Do go hard the first two weeks, hours don't stop, and then so when you realize that you're time crunching a little bit, because especially it was hard, uh, the last week of this I was working, and I was working for like eight, nine, ten hours a day at the, I'm in the control production room of a baseball team, and you guys know how long some of those games are, if you're aware of them, and you have to get their hours early to set up, and you can't really, like, slack off, and we don't really have breaks, because it's kind of just going since you get there, so I definitely think, if I had known what the last week with work would entirely, I mean, two of the days I was working 12 hours, 12, 13 hours, even more, the other day I think I worked 18 hours there, something like that, so I think if I had known what my job would have entitled, I think I would have paced it more. But I also think it was a good lesson is that I should have prepped for this. I knew I was starting a new job and I should have prepped time for that. So I definitely think pacing was my big thing. And I really recommend you guys pacing it out. And I also think if I had known how long I wanted the book to be, I think it would have helped. I just started free writing. I did no planning. I just had a basic structure of a story I wanted and just started writing. And when it felt like a new chapter should happen or it felt like it, I should switch scenes, I just did it. Or if I felt like I wanted to add a character, take away a character, I just did. I didn't plan. And so I think that also might have messed me up. I think going back, I next time I try this, because I definitely, I definitely want to try this again. I think it was a very good learning experience. I definitely want to improve on what I did good and make it better and fix where I did stuff wrong. I think what I'll do is for my first day, I will take that day to plan everything, write character templates, plan out every chapter, and take that day to make a gigantic outline so all I have to do is put it in words. I think that is where I messed up a lot, and pacing is where I need to improve a lot too. But if you're a writer and you really want to do it, I highly recommend you try it. Um, I'm sure you can also do with movies or scripts or plays or 
poetry books, whatever you want. But I, I learned a lot in it, and I think it's good. I didn't have anyone to do it with. I have no other friends around me that are writers that I could like gone scared with and wrote for hours with. But if you have friends, I think that also might help with distractions because sometimes I would get really antsy just sitting here for hours writing. But then there were sometimes I would write and not even look up and I realize it's three in the morning. So I definitely think you're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days, but just keep like trudging along, keep doing it. And I think maybe having a friend to like check in with would be helpful, but you do it however you want. I think those are just things I'm gonna try for the next time. And so I think I'm gonna shelf this for about uh, two months, maybe till the end of summer, and then maybe when I go back to school, I will take it off the shelf, bring it with me, and start editing it and typing it up, because I hand wrote it again. Um, yeah, because the first draft is the first draft, and the final production is not going to look anything like the first draft. So I didn't mind rushing through it because I knew I was going to then take my time to edit because the editing process I think is where really the bulk of the work is and I think that is where really you have to sit with yourself and really reflect on yourself and how I approached this was much different than how I approached the novel I finished around my birthday a couple months ago but I have an episode about it it's called Salt Looks Like Sugar that took me a year to write it's mess and the reason why I think it's a mess is because I would walk away for weeks at a time because I was busy with school or I didn't feel like writing or this and that. And I always had an excuse not to write. And so I would forget little details and I would forget things or I would repeat things or things fell out of place. And then so I found it to be messy at the end. And I know first drafts are supposed to be messy, but I found it to be really messy at the end. Where this I found was more cohesive because I couldn't go back and change things and forget I changed them. And I couldn't forget about things because I had just sat down and wrote them all the day prior. It's not like I went for weeks or even took a month or two off from writing because I had other things. I had to write every day because I had a, a, t a timer ticking on me. And so I, I found that actually to be pretty beneficial is simply just remembering what I'd written because I'd written it the day before. I didn't take a month off from my projects or I didn't get distracted by other projects because I had this project to do. And so I, I learned a lot. I found it was really good. Do I think I will do this for every novel I have? Absolutely not. Because like for example the next two books I have planned one is kind of about um, World War II and the other one is kind of a mix between uh, fiction and reality of some of the things that have happened to me. And I think those will take longer mainly because those are chunks of books. I think the second one will be easier to write in a month but I definitely think the World War II book I have planned would be a lot longer to write simply because I planned and have always thought about that book being much longer than any of the other books I have written. So, I, it, I think there's beneficial. I think you also have to know your limits. If you want to write a book like with the length of War and Peace, that's not going to happen in a month and you should not put yourself to that standard. 
if you want to really challenge yourself, I mean, you can try, but it's not going to happen unless you're like on Adderall the entire time. But I think if you set a reasonable goal, it can happen. I know in my notebook, it's come out to be a little over 300 pages, but I also know this has included me crossing things out and it's handwritten and so words are bigger or spaces are more inconsistent than what it'd be if I typed it up and put it in proper format. But again, that's still 300 divided by, well, I'll, I'll just get say it's about 300 divided by 30. It's about 10 pages a day I wrote, and it's a little bit more in that, so add a little bit more to it. And I'm sure when editing, I will add scenes and take away scenes and change a bunch of things, and that's what's supposed to happen. But I think if you put a reasonable goal and the reasonable expectations on yourself, something that would challenge you and push you to work hard, because it, it, it's hard. It really is. It is a difficult task to do. But I think if you set a reasonable goal, it you can do it. But don't set yourself up to fail. Don't set yourself up to write a war and peace or to write a perfect first draft because that's not going to happen. Write a messy first draft. I mean, if you could see this notebook, I have post-its sticking out of it, ripped up pages of extra dialogue I want. The, the pen colors change every couple pages because they'll die or something. I mean, it's, it's messy. But I think it... To me, it added more to it because I also had something physical to hold compared to just my computer. And to me, I think that also motivated me a lot because it also got me back to my roots. Salt Looks Like Sugar is the first book I had ever written that was on my, solely on my computer. I think maybe that is what took me so long to write it because I'm not as connected to my computer as I am with notebooks. With my notebook, there was something about it that I just wrote. And it flowed so much easier for me. And I found myself turning the page more to write more and more. And that's really me, I mean. But I also know writers who hate handwriting. And they can only write in on docs. And it really is, find whatever works best for you. And do trial and error until you can do it. And I highly recommend doing it. It's simple. Just pick a day. Most people start on the first. I did not. Um, let me check what date I started. I started on April 21st. Started on April 21st. I finished May 21st. And then on the 22nd, I posted that I had finished it on the official account for this. So I, I, I could have waited till the 1st, but I realized that if you kept pushing it off, well, it's not to push it off to the next day. So I'm like, let me just start now and let me go. And so I definitely think it was fun. It was a good learning experience, tiring, but um, so I think I might take a little bit of a break from writing and really focus on this show, especially get this back on the rail and also help with editing at TMP because I really pushed that all off to the side to focus on this. And everyone's been so patient with me and so supportive. I can't thank them enough. And I wanted to read the first chapter of my book as something a little bit of a sneak peek for you guys because I posted about it I talked about it here and you all have been really supportive and so in the first chapter you kind of meet Jack Ojevic, Atticus and Jack and the other ones come later in the book 
and so I wanted to read it to you guys. And chapter one goes, I don't like liars. You lie all the time. There's a difference. Enlighten me. I don't mind lying to others, Jack said, the young man rolling and unrolling his tie as he lay on the couch. He glanced away from his navy tie and looked at Jack Lojevic. Doctor, Theodore Jack Lojevic was his full name, but over the years the doctor had lost his title and is referred to only by his last name when Jack felt like it. I refuse to lie to myself. I'd be a complete fool if I did, don't you agree? Jack Lojevic shrugged his shoulders. It's not my place to say. Do you believe in God? Never my type of crowd. Do you think it's better to believe in God or to believe in nothing? That's not my decision to make, Jack Lojevic again replied. It is yours. You don't have to follow your protocols. We've broken enough of them. I'm asking for your opinion, Jack Lojevic. Psychiatrist sighed, glancing at his wristwatch before looking back at Jack, who's staring at him now. Am I boring you? The Englishman asked. No, not at all. Just making sure we have enough time to do what we need to do. Don't feel like doing anything until you answer my question. Stubborn as always. You said that's what you like best about me. Were you lying? No, I wasn't. I've grown comfortable with the fact that it's better to believe nothing and that we will end up in darkness. I prefer darkness than hell. Nothing can let us down if we stay in darkness for our lives. Us? Well, you don't believe in God. And what does that tell you about me? Jack asked. Small smug tugging at his lips as he flipped the tables on the doctor. You can be honest. You know my opinion about you. Do you treat your other patients like me? Jack stopped playing with his tie, looking over the doctor before stretching his back, making a snide remark about the doctor needing a better couch. He got up and walked around the office, weaving through the furniture and looking over the books like they were foreign to him even though he had known all of them and had spent years staring at them. He glanced at the bowl of fresh fruit, motioning his hand and raising an eyebrow to the doctor. You ask me every time. And I've already told you you can take whatever you want. Jack Lojevic did find a slight sense of amusement in the way the young man, even after all these years, still had the decency to ask him before taking any of the fruit or pouring himself a cup of tea. Others weren't trained as well as Jack was. The Englishman took one of the apples, feeling it for a moment before putting it back, saying he forgot that they were out of season and didn't want to waste any food. He walked back over and instead of returning to the couch, he sat in the chair across from Jack Lojevic, the young man making sure to fix his suit to be in good appearance for the doctor as they examined each other for a few moments. The young man's eyes went to the second floor of the office where even more books found resonance. He had been up there in a few weeks and when he was younger, he would slink around in circles along the balcony of the four walls as Jack Lojevic would watch him from his chair, never giving mind that Jack would observe him like a predator does prey only to find that the prey stared back at him in the same manner. What are you thinking about? Jack moved his attention back to the doctor. Rome, he stated, 
Right over Jackalajevic's shoulder was a thick book on the shelf titled The Fall of Rome. Are you lying to me? No, why would you think that? Jackalajevic got from his chair, casting an invisible shadow over Jack. The two men share this similar way of standing, back straight, shoulders aligned, feet at the proper width, and they always move their hands to press their suits and button and unbutton with ease. He slowly moved to Jack, who watched as the doctor approached him, circling from behind him. Jackalajevic pressed his hands on Jack's shoulder before creeping it closer to the Englishman's jaw using his fingers to tilt Jack's head back while he was still holding his neck, gently pressing his extra fingers into his blood vessels to constrict it. Jack Ojevic had the man under his touch and knew the Englishman did not have the guts to move away. Theodore. Jack's breath hitched when he felt the fingers push deeper into his neck. Jack Ojevic moved his fingers to now be fully around the younger man's neck and his chin rested on the doctor's hands. Don't be informal with me right now. Why not? I'm angry with you. Why? Because I don't like when people lie to me. I'm not lying. I can feel it in your pulse. You are a goddamn awful liar. Hughes, the commander, yelled and the sound of the door swinging open and slamming into the wall demanded Jack's attention in his office this early in his morning. Why was someone disturbing him was the only thing going through Jack's mind. Morning, sir, he replied, but knocking would be appreciated. I don't do knocking, the commissioner. It was nothing short of an arrogant bastard. Suits that were too small as he tried to recreate the silhouette of his glory days and shoes that were bulky and stamped on the ground created his wardrobe. Yellow teeth were the only thing that contained his aggressive yelling. Whispering wasn't in his dictionary. The commissioner Gus was his name. And Gut was the name given to him behind his back. I'm sorry the man next to Gus mouthed. As the commissioner moved the files off of Jack's desk and into a messy pile. Please don't. Jack grabbed the man's wrists. These are all very important papers. I cannot have you mess them up. A messy desk creates a clear mind, Gus argued. Not always. What bothered Jack the most was that Gus wasn't his rightful boss. He had no leverage over Jack, but it seemed the commissioner felt he had control over lawyers as well as his officers. After a quick back and forth of the duo, trying to win control over the desk setup, Jack gave up knowing the sooner he got this over with, the sooner the man would leave him alone. What can I help you with this morning, sir? Hughes. Stewart. Stewart Hughes. I don't care if you like each other, Gus motioned between the two men. Jack clearly more confused than the other. The last officer you worked with was retarded. Sorry, I mean challenged. Can't get a lashing from HR. He was too old. He was forgetting things. You two are on the case now. Fix this. He exited, still somehow sucking the air out of the office as he went. Jack's attention instantly went back to his desk as he tried to reorganize the files as well as find the spot for the new ones he was given. Atticus Stewart. 
the officer said, extending his hand out as a formal introduction. Jack looked up, taking the man's hand in his for a shake, not noting how oddly soft his skin was compared to any other officers he's ever shook hands with. Atkins was also younger than most of the senior detectives, a lot younger if one wanted to split hairs with words. The two of them were about the same age, maybe Atkins being a year or two older, at least in his eyes, but that was natural for the people in Atticus's field to age quickly. He wore a suit, and underneath the jacket was a black turtleneck instead of a collared shirt, a fit in tall men, and as Jack glanced at his hands, they were still shaking, he could see the veins when flexed. Jack Hughes, I've heard a lot about you. I'm looking forward to working together. Same. Can I ask what happened to Simon? Jack nodded. Gus fired him from the case, sent him in early retirement. I'm sure a lot of people wish they could go into early retirement after meeting with Gus and working in this field. Atticus sat down one of the chairs. It's a shame he was a good man, Jack replied, biting his lip and shuffling the papers. I was told you would fill me in. Classic Gus, can't even help out the new guy, he chuckled. Are you new? I've never seen you before. Transfer from Edinburgh. First time Jack noticed the Scottish brogue, how this man... And the words he used were different than any of the men he'd heard in the precinct before. He wanted fresh blood to help out. Thought it might be a good fit. The man laughed, a smile stretching from cheek to cheek, not something normally seemed. He seemed to have found himself amusing, and Jack did also. The lawyer sat down, forgetting about the mess on his desk. You must be good for him to ship you in. I have high expectations now. Mr. Hughes, Jack, please. Just call me Jack. Jack. Atticus nodded. I hope I don't disappoint. A lawyer who doesn't mind getting his hands dirty, I see. Gus refuses to let me stay behind my desk, and odds are he won't come all the way here to bother me. This would be a hike for him and his fat ass compared to crossing the street to my office. He's not that bad. How long have you been here? Jack asked, zipping up his coat to try to block out the cold air. Just got here this morning. I'll give you till you clock out tonight before you're ready to smother him. It's a bet. Shake on it? They did. Forensic scientists coughed to give the two men the social cue to pay attention to the crime scene in front of them. Sorry, Atticus tried to get himself to stop smiling from the lawyer as he looked away at the dead body that lay in the cobblestone alleyway. The blood had always dried, but everyone tiptoed around it, not wanting to chance contaminating the bottom of their shoes. How many kills in London before you consider it serial? Two. And this is? Three. Officially promoted to serial killer. Now a promotion I put on my resume. Jack looked over the files he was handed, given the body no time of day. He knew what happened. This had occurred two times before. What makes the third any different to him? Atticus, with fresh eyes and enough ambition to lead a seven-nation army, dropped down in a squat next to the body, slipping a latex glove onto his hand to be able to touch her for a better examination. Are all of them blonde? Jack nodded. Gus really threw you in to the wolves with no knowledge to arm yourself with. What's the fun of being prepared in a case like this? 
Blonde, blue eye, fit, early 20 women's, stab wounds, always in the gut, never the groin or above the breast. Kidneys always seem to be the aim. I like that you finished my sentence. Turns you on? Maybe after a glass of wine it might. The scientists cough again. Not enjoying the comedic duo. Jack glanced up at her for a brief moment. He was getting tired of the PD and their arrogance and how they felt they could always interrupt him when he was in the middle of something. Do we have a name? Amelia Griffin, the student at the local college where she's studying gender studies. Good, seeing my tax dollars go to good use. Jack slapped Atticus on the back of the head with the file. Have some respect for the dead. Do we have to go see her family? Well, you do. You're not coming? I don't do well with people in this situation. It'll be a learning experience. I'm fine with the experiences I already have. Bullshit. You can never be fine with the experiences you have. There are always more out there. Agus did most, if not all, of the talking as Jack watched him from the sea on the couch, sipping the coffee he was gifted by the grieving mother. He was handed and didn't know what to do with it. There was no coasters or social directions. Everyone else just held it in their lap, so he mimicked it, expecting that that was acceptable. Atticus and the father walked off to talk about the case and if there were any information that either could share to help the other, leaving Jack alone with the distraught mother showing him pictures of the only child she had who was now gone. Jack was never good with emotions. He didn't know how to respond to them, and often he didn't understand why people did the things they did when struck with emotion. Why did he need to know this girl had a red bathing suit as a kid? And why did she need to know the day he, she won the class pet and brought a hamster home? Why did he need to know all of the teams she'd ever played football on? He didn't know and he didn't care about them. They didn't help him find who the person was. He didn't need to know what the victim's favorite flavor of ice cream was or see the baby pictures of her. No, but he sat there nodding along to the mother, sipping a watered-down crappy cup of coffee, waiting for Atticus to return and save him from this. And when the detective returned after what felt like an eternity, Jack nearly dropped the empty mug as he stood up. The look in his eyes showed he was ready to give an answer to the question whether or not he was ready to go. The duo bid their farewells and Jack can realize he left with the mug still in his hands. When they got to the car, he tossed into the back seat after pouring the coffee out the window, much to Atticus's amusement. You suck at interacting with people, the detective laughed. Thought you were over-exaggerating, but you weren't. Women can sense I'm not emotional and they gravitate towards it, attack it like a sense of wolves. They sense emotionless men and they know they have a job to fix it. Like stray dogs. Women like stray dogs. They like making them better. Have you ever seen a woman that didn't like rescuing stray dogs? Did you just compare me to a dog? Oh god, no. They deal with emotional women way better than you. I wouldn't want to discount them in their hard work. I never met the families of the victims for this case. I never had to look someone in the eye and tell them their loved ones are dead. Is this often for you? You would have made a fine actor, Jack. At least it would have kept your hair from turning gray. My hair is not turning gray. 
the man replied as he looked at his reflection in the glass door of the grandfather clock. I wouldn't have said if it wasn't true, Jack Ojevic said, and I think you're lying. Jack watched the psychiatrist through the reflection. Jack Ojevic stood at one of the small tables in the room where a neat food bowl was set, two teacups and a saucer that were being filled with tea. He watched as the doctor added powdered sugar to one of the cups. What did you put in my tea, he asked, moving his attention back to his reflection, checking on his roots one last time for any trace of gray hairs. Ambien. You look like you haven't been sleeping. I think it'll help you relax. You were too preoccupied to let your mind rest. Jack left the clock and approached the doctor, who was holding a saucer up, and took it from him so he could drink the tea. Good, Jack Ojevic praised. Sleeping flushes the mind and clears it. Someone new joined the case. Jack sat down in the chair, sipping the tea, completely unfazed by the drugs that were in him. Atticus Stewart. Interesting name. What color is the kettle? Black? Cute, Jack. Gus didn't like how the last detective was handling the case, so he got someone new. Did he try to replace you? He has no jurisdiction over me. Only the officers. He likes to think he can boss around lawyers, but he cannot. I'm above him. I doubt you helped that last detective to keep him on the case. I didn't know he was going to be removed until I had a new detective staring back at me this morning. Not talking about that, Jack. Jack took another sip of his tea, nearly choking on it as he felt Jack Lejevic's middle and index finger press into his neck from behind, checking his pulse. Don't lie. I did nothing outside my obligations to the DA's office and the law. Man cannot be the painting and the painter simultaneously. Jack took a sip of his tea. Self-portraits are a thing in some of the most famous paintings out there, he replied after a moment. If you think I should say something else to you in this moment, then say it. You drugged me and I won't be coherent for much longer. Your heart rate is already starting to slow down. The doctor pulled his hands away from Jack, rolling the younger man's head in the process before freeing him. What do you plan to do about this new detective, Jack? And that is where chapter one of the book ends, and it follows a very similar format of mostly short scenes of conversations and moving between it because all of it is even though in third person follows Jack's perspective or what he assumes is happening in these places because at the end of the day the book will be Jack's retelling and in a way maybe his explanation of what he did and why he did it. So even in the scenes he's not in, it is her it is his interpretation of what he believes happens when he's not there in the conversation he imagines happening there. And so I am looking forward to sharing more of this book. And I it's probably one of the cast of characters I'm most excited to work on. And probably the cast of characters that have been sitting in my arsenal for a while that I've wanted to write about and haven't written about yet. So I look forward to developing them more, editing them, and I'll give you guys updates to the process. And season two is coming soon. I 
recorded an episode already. They're coming. I promise they are. I'm going to have some special guests on this season, which will be fun. We're going to talk about more books and everything. And I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be great. If you try this write a novel in 30 days, let me know how it happens. I actually would love to have like a bunch of us on the podcast if other people have done this. And maybe we can all talk about it and see like different experiences or different tactics we use to get it. I think it'd be great. And so let me know. Was it helpful for you? Did you find that you couldn't do it? Did you not like it? Was what was challenging, what was easy, what did you think would be hard but wasn't, what did you think that would be easy that wasn't, let me know, I want to know, I want to hear these stories because I find it's a very, it's called a challenge for a reason, and it definitely is challenging, but I think it, it's good to try, I think, I think everyone should probably try it once in, in their lives, I mean, even if it's a shorter book, like a novella, it's only like 100 pages, or even shorter than that, it's still a book, and you still did it in, 30 days and I definitely think setting a reasonable expectation for yourself and a reasonable goal is best and I mean that's kind of it I mean it's a novel in 30 days and if you want to try it best of luck with it let me know how it went and maybe we can get a group of us together to talk about it or maybe try a different challenge and there's a couple different challenges that people do like Oh, like, right, like a novella in 15 days, I've heard, seven novel in 30, right, like half it. So there's a couple of them challenges. I, I think they'll all be good to try. So thank you for coming around. Thank you for the special episode. I'll give you more updates about the book, and I'm hoping to edit it in the fall, then do a second edit with Bailey Rears in the spring, and my goal would probably have it published in the summer. Don't hold me to that because it really all depends on how quickly I can get beta readers and edit all that stuff. And I don't want to rush the process, but I also don't want to drag it out. I think editing is the hardest thing in the timeline. I think that's what I'm going to be working on the most now. But thank you for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Season 2 is coming right around the corner. I promise I'm not going to make you guys wait a whole lot longer. And thank you for stopping by, as always, with all your support. Big changes are coming to the account, but it will still be the same podcast you know and love, just to make it better. It will be much better this season. So thank you for stopping by. Thank you for all the support. And as always, this has been the Notes from the Library.